This podcast is sponsored by Oz. Oz is a premium disposable vape product made with the highest pharmaceutical grade quality ingredients and comes in 12 delicious flavors like velvet tobacco, sweet apple, strawberry banana, grape ice, lemon tart, mango, and so many more. Right now, Oz is offering all of my listeners 50% off their orders. So head on over to letsoz.com and use my promo code HARMONY for 50% off your order. With O's, you'll look forward to your moment of zen. This episode is sponsored by Doom and Groom. Doom and Groom are a craft hair, skin, beard, and tattoo care company based in Denver, Colorado. Their oils, balms, butters, and pomades are great for use from head to toe, keeping your hair and skin healthy and hydrated. All of their products are unisex, dye-free, chemical-free, plastic-free, and organic. Head on over to doomandgroom.net and use my code HARMONYDOOM for 10% off your purchase. Once again, that is doomandgroom.net, promo code HARMONYDOOM. What do you think people imagine when they picture the Cecil Hotel? Is there a room here that maybe somebody hasn't died in? I never got used to that. Never got used to that. Throughout its history, the Hotel Cecil has always had a dark persona. People call it Hotel Jack. With Halloween just days away, I thought we could take this episode to an extremely haunted and very dark location. Earlier this year, Netflix released a documentary called The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. This documentary dove into all the details surrounding the extremely tragic and infamous death of Alyssa Lamb. Many of us will agree there's a lot of discrepancies in that tragedy, but the hotel itself has a very questionable history, even before Alyssa set foot in there. If you've seen the four-part docuseries, not only does it speak about the Canadian's death at the LA Hotel, but it also gives you a peek behind the curtain. The curtain that shrouds the hotel's creepy and super seedy past. You guys, it gets wild. My name's Harmony, and welcome to the Cecil Hotel. This was a place where serial killers let their hair down, like Richard Ramirez, who had come back covered in blood, and no one's got a problem with that. Welcome everyone to the Cecil Hotel. This hotel is almost 100 years old and opened in the downtown area of Los Angeles in December of 1924, just before the Great Depression would hit the United States. Designed by Lloyd Lester Smith, it was built at the cost of $1.5 million. It has 14 floors and at one point, 700 guest rooms. This hotel was designed in hopes to house business travelers and Hollywood tourists. Unfortunately, its popularity, which peaked in the 40s, would suffer from the city of Los Angeles pushing its homeless population into nearby Skid Row. The hotel would soon become a rooming house for day laborers and transients. It wouldn't be just the homeless population that would diminish the hotel's reputation. All hotels have their share of mortalities. However, the problems for this cursed hotel began almost from opening day. This hotel would soon be nicknamed Hotel Death. 
had things keep happening here over and over again. This hotel was hiding something. I would have never thought what was about to happen could happen. In January of 1927, the hotel would experience its first death. A man by the name of Percy Osmond Cook shot himself and died in his room. According to a newspaper article from 1927 with the headline, Marital Strife Held Cause of Suicide Attempt, Percy left a note addressed to the press in which he said he spent $40,000 in the last six months of his life. He did this in a vain attempt to buy happiness. Percy was 52 years old at the time of his death. He was rushed to the nearby hospital where he passed away. Percy was a real estate dealer out in Providence, Rhode Island. In Percy's note, he complained of his separation between his wife and his son. He stated that for several months he had brooded over his loneliness until he decided that the only way out was to commit suicide. He even wrote a letter to his wife in which he informed her of his intentions. According to Percy himself, it took him a week to build up the courage to take his life. Possibly one of the most haunting statements from Percy's letter is money cannot buy happiness. He went on to state, I have done it and I find that it cannot be done. I have lost my wife, my son, and my home. I am doing the only thing left for me to do. Percy absolutely had money. He had formerly owned several real estate properties. His son, who he referred to in his note, was a student at Harvard. A few years after Percy's death, three more men would die by suicide. One took his life by overdosing on pills. Another took his life by gunshot. And the third one used a razor. In 1937, the hotel would be introduced to its first female death. A headline in a local newspaper read, Woman Takes Death Plunge. Grace E. Magro's death has always been under severe questioning as police have never been able to determine whether she jumped or someone pushed her. There was a man staying with her by the name of M.W. Madison who was 26 years old and a sailor of the USS Virginia. He claimed that he did not know what happened as he was sleeping when she jumped. It's a little suspicious if you ask me, but these deaths would only be the beginning. Following Grace's death, several ex-military men resided in the hotel and would also take their lives. In 1944, a 19-year-old woman, Dorothy Jean Purcell, gave birth to a baby on her bathroom floor. Dorothy claimed that she believed her baby was stillborn. This is when she decided to throw the baby outside the window, rather than telling the man or anybody that she had had it. The coroner's report found that the child was in fact alive. Dorothy was charged with murder, but found not guilty by reason of insanity. This brings us to one of the most tragic and confusing deaths at the Cecil. Pigeon Goldie Osgood was a retired 79-year-old telephone operator when she came to stay at the Cecil Hotel. She was found murdered in her room on June 4, 1964. Goldie had earned her nickname by feeding the local pigeons at Pershing Square nearby. Authorities discovered that Goldie had been violently raped, strangled, and then fatally stabbed to death. She also had injuries consistent with being beaten and her room was ransacked. The mystery of Goldie's death would intensify as one suspect was found and questioned hours after the horrific murder. This man was arrested and charged, but was later cleared of the crime. To this day, no one has ever been found responsible for Goldie's murder. I'm sure by now you can see where the nickname Hotel Death came from. But my dears, we've only just begun.
This is the latest chapter in a dark history for the Cecil Hotel. Now, murders and strange deaths are not the only thing the hotel is known for. Hotel Cecil has been the home to a few serial killers. Everyone, I'd like to introduce you to Johann Jack Unterweger. In May 1990, a convicted killer was released from a prison in Austria, having only served 15 years and four months behind bars. His name, Jack Unterweger. A brutal killer, who is now going to embark on what I think is one of the most horrifying killing sprees in modern European history. A masterful manipulator, Unterweger was living the double life of a celebrated writer and that of a serial killer. Once released from prison, he went on to kill nine women and was suspected of a further two in just over a year. He possessed what one calls the charm of a psychopath. The style was completely different. It was absolute brutality and bursts of violence. His victims all died in the same way, each strangled using the same knot. You are face to face with them. You are seeing the life drain out of them. You can choose to stop. You can choose to carry on. In public, he was the poster boy of prison reform in Austria, who transformed from murderer to model citizen. But little did his supporters know that Jack Unterweger was leading a double life and was in fact one of the world's most evil killers. Johann Jack Unterweger, otherwise known as Jack Unterweger, was an Australian serial killer who committed murder in several countries. West Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia, and the US. Initially convicted in 1974 of a single murder, Unterweger began to write extensively while in prison. His work gained the attention of the Austrian literary elite, who took it as evidence that he had been rehabilitated. After significant lobbying, Unterweger was released on parole in 1990. After his release, he became a minor celebrity and worked as a playwright and journalist. But Unterweger had a moonlight career. Unterweger soon returned to killing women. After he was convicted of nine more murders in June of 1994, he took his life in prison. Jack Unterweger would not be the only serial killer to call the Cecil Hotel his home. Summer streets and the pavements are burning, I said. In the 1980s, we were proud of the city. L.A. was glamorous. But if you went around to the other side, L.A. could be a very dark place. I was on the freeway, and here comes somebody speeding, and all of a sudden he just swerves around my car. It's like he's right there, like a moment stop. And he has this horrible big grin, and he's missing all these teeth. He just stared at me like a killer clown. We got us a serial killer. There was no doubt about it. This was a pretty sick individual. The so-called night stalker who has terrorized California. The same man is suspected in six to eight murders and 25 to 30 attacks. He's someone that will go into a home at night and will kill. 
I woke up to a very loud noise to which I responded, John, and immediately I knew it wasn't John, but something was there. There was no pattern. Anyone could be a victim. He went after old people, young people, men, women. It's unheard of. We've never encountered anybody like that in criminal history. Everybody was talking about it. I'm scared. I think everybody else is scared. It's a cruel Pressure was on to stop the madman that was doing all this. So we start trying to piece all this puzzle together. We were in for a roller coaster ride. It's the only time in my entire life that I slept with a gun. There's pentagrams on walls. It just keeps getting creepier. And he waited till he saw the fear in her eyes, then he shot her. What causes a person to do what he does? I said, I won't scream. I swear upon God. And he said, swear upon Satan. You could sense it. There's evil in that man. It's a cruel, cruel summer. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Richard Ramirez. Born February 29, 1960 as Ricardo Leva Munez Ramirez, he would later be dubbed the Valley Intruder as his attacks were first clustered in the San Gabriel Valley. Ramirez would later be known as the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker may be known as one of the most prolific serial killers in all of US history. The Night Stalker was an American serial killer, a serial rapist, a kidnapper, child abuser, and burglar. Born in El Paso, Texas, Ramirez's childhood was considered the influence on his crimes. His father, who was a heavy drinker, was prone to fits of anger and often would result in physical abuse. Ramirez would escape his house often and try to find shelter and a place to sleep, resulting in him staying in a local cemetery. As a 12-year-old, Ramirez was strongly influenced by his older cousin, Miguel Mike Ramirez a decorated Green Beret combat veteran who showed Richard Polaroid photos of his gruesome atrocities during the Vietnam War. Sounds like a real bonding experience. These photos included him raping both female Viet Cong rebels and Vietnamese women and girls suspected of being loyal to the communist forces in the region. This also included their subsequent murder and decapitation with machetes afterwards. So as you can see, not exactly the best influence. Miguel also taught Richard some of his military skills that he would go on to use during his killing spree. In 1973, after his cousin Mike was incarcerated for murdering his wife during an argument, which let it be known the then 13-year-old Richard was in the room to witness. At this point, he moved in with his older sister. Ruth lived with her husband, Roberto. It doesn't really get better from here. You see, Roberto was an obsessive peeping Tom who took Ramirez along on his nocturnal exploits. At 14 years old, Ramirez began using LSD and cultivating a strong interest in Satanism and the occult. Ramirez's highly publicized home invasion and murder crime spree terrorized the residents of the greater Los Angeles area, and later the residents of the San Francisco Bay Area from June 1984 until August 1985. He used a wide variety of weapons, including handguns, knives, and a machete, a tire iron, and a claw hammer. 
1989, Ramirez was convicted of 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, and 11 sexual assaults, followed with 14 burglaries. The judge who upheld Ramirez's 19 death sentences remarked this about his deeds. They exhibited cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. Ramirez, who never expressed any remorse for his crimes, died on June 7, 2013. His death was caused because of complications from B-cell lymphoma while awaiting execution on California's death row. Richard Ramirez spent roughly 24 years on death row before his death from cancer in prison. Both Richard and Jack were guests at Hotel Cecil, calling it their home during their vicious crime sprees. But ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're still not done. Hotel with a notorious past is the site of another bizarre case. Elisa Lamb from Vancouver, Canada is missing. We have now made it to the most infamous case to ever come out of the Cecil Hotel. On February 19, 2013, a body was recovered in a water tank atop the Cecil Hotel. It was later identified as that of Elisa Lamb. Also known by her Cantonese name, Lam Ho Yi, she was born on April 30, 1991. Alyssa Lam was a Canadian student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. She had been staying at the hotel when she was reported missing at the beginning of the month. A maintenance worker discovered the body when investigating guest complaints of problems with their water. For a few weeks, guests had been drinking the water, bathing in it, and complaining that it tasted weird, looked funny, and the pressure was really bad. Alyssa's disappearance was highly reported on, and interest had increased five days prior to the discovery of her body when the Los Angeles Police Department released a video of the last time she was known to have ever been seen. In this footage from the hotel CCTV, she is seen exiting and re-entering the elevator. She also seems to be talking and making hand gestures outside in the hallway. The oddest part about this video is that she seems to be hiding from someone or something. The video went viral, with many viewers reporting that they found it very unsettling. Explanations range from claims of the paranormal involvement to bipolar disorder. Alyssa did take medication for bipolar disorder at the time. Other people have argued that the videos were actually intentionally altered prior to release. The circumstances of Alyssa's death once she was found also raised questions especially in light of the hotel's history in relation to other notable deaths, murders, and serial killers. Her body was found naked with most of her clothes and personal effects floating in the water near her. It took the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office four months after repeated delays to release the autopsy report. According to the autopsy report, there is no evidence of physical trauma and states that the manner of death was accidental. Guests at the Cecil, now rebranded Stay on Main, sued the hotel after the incident. Elisa's parents also sued the hotel in a separate lawsuit later that year. The big unanswered question is, where is she? The last footage that we have of her was inside the elevator. Elisa was the daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong, a student at the University of British Columbia, although she was not registered at the beginning of 2013. For her trip to California, she traveled alone on Amtrak and intercity buses. 
She visited the San Diego Zoo and posted photos taken there on her social media. On January 26, she arrived in Los Angeles. After two days, she checked in to the Hotel Cecil. Initially, she was assigned a shared room on the hotel's fifth floor. However, her roommates complained about what the hotel's lawyer would later describe as, quote, certain odd behavior, and she was moved to a room on her own after two days. Elisa was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. According to her family, who kept her history of mental illness a secret, she had no history of suicidal ideations or attempts. Although, according to one report, it claimed that she had previously gone missing for a brief period of time. In mid-2010, Alyssa began a blog named Ether Fields on Blogspot. Over the next two years, she posted pictures of models in fashionable clothing and accounts of her life, particularly the struggle she had with mental illness. In a post from 2012, she stated that she had relapsed with her mental health and was forced to drop several classes. This left her feeling so utterly directionless and lost. She titled her post, You're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. A little after two years after she started blogging, she announced she would be abandoning her blog for another she had started on Tumblr. <laughs> How many of you guys had one? I'm raising my hand too. Her content on there mostly consisted of fashion photos, quotes, and a few posts in her own words. She kept looking outside the door. Why is the elevator not going anywhere? Is someone keeping her here? Her hand movements are very strange and erratic. Like she's conjuring a spirit. Elisa contacted her parents in British Columbia every day while traveling. On February 1, 2013, the day she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil and leave for Santa Cruz, her parents did not hear from her and called the Los Angeles Police Department. This is when she was reported missing. Her family then flew to Los Angeles to help with the search. The hotel staff who saw her that day said that she was alone. Outside the hotel, Katie Orphan, manager of a nearby bookstore, was the only person who recalled seeing her that day. Police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched her room and had dogs go through the building, including the roof. But the dogs were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. Now they were not allowed to search every room, they could only look in the ones if they believed they had probable cause. On February 6th, a week after she had last been seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. Flyers with her image were posted in the neighborhood and online. This brought the case to the public's attention through the media. On February 15th, at this point two weeks since she had last been seen, the LAPD released a video of her last known sighting. This video was caught from the CCTV from inside one of the Cecil elevators. In approximately two and a half minutes of footage, she is seen alone and makes unusual movements and gestures, leaving the elevator at one point while the doors remain open. Even after it appears that she has pressed every single button, the doors still fail to close. She then returns, re-enters, and leaves, and the doors close after. This video, as you can imagine, drew worldwide interest and attention. What was with her strange and odd behavior? Out of the millions of views of the video, the most common response was that it left them feeling unsettled. There are several theories explaining her actions. One was that she was trying to get the elevator car to move in order to escape from someone who was pursuing her. Others have suggested that she may be under the influence of ecstasy or some other party drug. However, no drugs were detected in her body. When her bipolar disorder became known, there was a theory that she was currently in a psychotic episode in the video. Other viewers argue that the video had actually been tampered with. 
Besides the obscured timestamp, they claim parts had been slowed down and nearly a minute of footage had been removed. This could have been done to protect the identity of someone who otherwise would be in the video, someone who may be related or not to her disappearance. The Lisa Lamb case is now closed. The Los Angeles coroner has ruled the Vancouver student's death as an accidental drowning. Lamb's body was found in a water tank at the top of the Los Angeles hotel where she'd been staying earlier this year. The 21-year-old had been traveling alone and was last seen January 31st. Lamb was spotted on surveillance video acting abnormally in an elevator, appearing to gesture to someone. The coroner believes her bipolar disorder played a role in her death. During the search for her, guests at the hotel began complaining about low water pressure. Some would later claim that the water was colored black and even had an unusual taste. On the morning of February 19th, Santiago Lopez, a hotel maintenance worker, found her body in one of the four 1,000-gallon tanks. These four tanks were located on the roof of the hotel and provided the water to the guest rooms, a kitchen, and a coffee shop. Through the open hatch, he saw her laying face up in the water. The tank had to be drained and cut open as the maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate equipment needing to remove her body. On February 21st, the Los Angeles coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. The coroner's report stated that she had been found naked. Her clothing, similar to what she had been wearing in the elevator video, was found floating in the water. And oddly enough, it was coated with a sand-like particulate. Her watch and room key were also found with her. Her body was moderately decomposed and bloated. There's no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings. Plus, non-prescription drugs such as Sanutab and Ibuprofen. A very small quantity of alcohol was present, but no other recreational drugs. Investigators and experts also noted that the concentration of the prescription drugs in her system indicated that she was under-medicating, or possibly that she had stopped taking her medicine altogether. To this day, the mystery of what happened to Alyssa is widely discussed. Sadly, we may never know. In 2013, something happened in the building behind me that has been called the most mysterious death of the 21st century. You've probably seen and have been haunted by the elevator footage of Elisa Lamb. This place has seen serial killers, devil worshiping, hauntings at a whole other level. There is no place in the entire planet that I have been wanting to investigate more. This is it. This is the mecca of paranormal investigating. The Cecil Hotel. Like many other places that have a grim history, many people now state that the Cecil Hotel is in fact haunted. The hotel was closed in 2017 for renovations after being purchased. To this day, the hotel still remains closed. Whether ghosts wander the halls of the hotel or not, one thing is for sure. This hotel is haunted by horrific tragedies.
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of What the Actual F. And until next time, stay safe, guys.